here too late this morning, but uh, we're going to finish up 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. And uh, the title is How Foolish Are We? Part 4. Um, today is Sunday, June 4th, if, you, if you're writing any of that kind of thing down in your notes. Um, but uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 16, and uh, we'll open in prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you for today again, and I thank you for your blessings. And Father, I praise you for your love for us, and I thank you for the truth, uh, Lord, that you give us. And I, I thank you for showing us how to defend truth. And Lord, I think that's a lost art today. It's a, it's a part of um, people's profession of following you that, that, we don't, uh, that we don't learn how to do. And Lord, we're guilty of that. So, Father, I pray that you would help us with that, help us to know and understand more about allowing you to be Lord in our life, and Lord, fully surrendering to that, and to you, and to your word. And I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So, if we pick it up in uh, verse 16, uh, let me give me just a second here. Okay. I had to check. I was, I was, I sent a message to see if uh, Larry wanted a call when we started, and he said, "Yeah, he's he's in a lot of pain today, so keep him in your prayers if you would." Um, he will. He said he would try and be here for church. Um, but anyways, picking it up in verse 16, we'll just read through the end of the chapter first. It's a long read, but we'll go through it, and then uh, then we'll hit the uh, the points in here that that the Lord has showed me this week. He says, "I." Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, we're starting in verse 16. Yep, that's okay. He says, I repeat, no one, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. Verse 21, to my shame, I admit that we too were weak for that. Whatever anyone dare else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. Also, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, and been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. 
I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Excuse me, my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damas Damascenes, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. So in verses 16 and 17, he, when he says, I repeat, he's, he's referring to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when he says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's, a, there's a reference to, if we back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if we go back there, um, again, he's not referring to himself, uh, you know, and lifting up his own, his, his own accolades, his own desires. He really does not like to do that. I've heard a number of pastors uh, will preach this passage and, and they'll say, wow, you know, see how bold Paul was. He was really, you know, he was on fire and he really was letting them have it. And Paul's really, as I study this, I'm going, he's really not saying that. He's going, I don't like being this way, but because this is what you look for, I'm going to do it just for your sake. And so, you know, he says, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. First Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2, he says, am I not free Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, sure, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he's talking to a group of people who, are, who have already acknowledged Paul as an apostle. He's, he's talking to a group of people who have already acknowledged him as as the one who brought the message of the gospel to him, to them. And uh, if we jump down to verses 19 through 23 in, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Um, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, Excuse me, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as it is, so as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, he says, to the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this, all of this, for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. 
So the boasting that he's doing in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, if you remember up to chapter 10, verses chapters 1 through 9, he, he really is giving them uh, a lot of credit for the changes that have been made. But from chapter 10 on, he's, he's dealing with people who are still struggling with going back and forth and being wishy-washy about who they're following. Um, if you remember from the beginning of 2 Corinthians, I think it is, that he says, you know, who is, who is Cephas? Who is Apollos? You know, he's going, they're just, they're just people that are delivering the message. Christ is the one uh, that we need to be serving, that we need to be following. So he puts himself on the same level as everybody else in that sense. Yes, did you have a question? Right, so, so in, other words, he, in other words, what he means is he does the research to, about the, the pe person or the people group that he's talking to. Okay, so if, if, you, if we read in Acts where he first came to Corinth, he comes in and he looks around and he says, Ah, I see you have a statue to the unknown God. And then he uses that. He says, I know that God. And... And he uses that because now he's, oh, you know, oh, tell us, please. He's got their attention because he understands what they worship. He understands what's valuable to them. He understands spiritually weak and physically because a lot of times they, when he came into a community, he understood, uh, he many times brought gifts from the previous place and he said, let me offer you what you need. And in offering that physical, um, that physical need, he is able to speak spiritually. Right, right. Like, even though he has all this knowledge. Yes. If he went out and preached to them, right. Right, so in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, What is love? If I speak with tongues and, and if I speak with the tongues of angels and I know this and I know that and I know this and I come and I, and I vomit all of this information out on you, what is it if I don't love you? And what is love? I see you have a need. I want to meet that need. Love. Even to the most unspiritual person, if they need a ride to Peru to get some groceries, you take them to Peru and you go in and you buy them groceries and you bring them back. And while you're traveling on the car, you, you, you can tell them, you can talk to them. Because they're like, wow, I don't know how many people passed me by, but you stopped and picked me up. Right. So, and that's what Paul does. So to the weak, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to whoever I'm speaking to, I do, he does the research to understand where they're at so that he can meet them right there. And he, and he meets them right there with the, and most of the time, oftentimes, it's, there's a physical need, and, and he'll come in and meet that physical need, and then he talks to them about their spiritual need and helps them understand what Jesus did for that and elevates Christ. And I, and I think it's an awesome picture of how we should witness to people today. Um, many times he'll establish a little bit of a relationship with a couple people, and then those people will validate that, he wow, he is genuinely a follower of Christ. And so, yeah, when we read through that, Paul is to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, after he tells them this in, in 1 Corinthians, back in 2 Corinthians, 
um, he, he's, he's looking at them saying, they're looking for credentials. I hate talking about myself and bragging on myself, but if I don't do that, they're not going to give me the time of day. You know, and so um, if we're going to read, well, I'll just, instead of jumping all over the place, I'm going to just go straight through, but we'll get to the point where he looks, where Paul actually looks at Jesus and says, Jesus confronted those people, confronted the Pharisees, and he's like, I've neglected to do that in the past, but I'm going to do it now. Okay, and he kind of makes a confession about that. Um, so in first, or 2 Corinthians 11, again, in verse 1 and verse 16, um, when he talks about dealing with the foolishness that he's describing, um, he's following the advice of Proverbs 26.5. So if you turn back to there, does anybody know Proverbs 26.5? I'm sure when you read it, you'll go, oh yeah, I know that verse. Because a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy about the verse before it and this verse, and they say, well, they don't, they don't agree. They conflict with each other. Well, that's not true. So Proverbs 26.5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Sounds like a, uh, sounds like a poem a little bit. Um, but answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. If you read the verse before it, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. <laughs> it's kind of confusing a little bit, isn't it? Um, but the verse before it, verse 4, means don't continuously engage in foolish talk. Don't sit and just have arguments and disputes about things. But verse 5, and this is what Paul is doing, is he says sometimes there's, there's a, there are times when you have to engage to, um, out of necessity, not by choice. Uh, in the, so the people of Corinth, they had tolerated um, and welcomed the false teachers because of the external qualifications and their self-commendations. And so basically what they were doing is Paul was going to have to enter into that folly with the boasting in order to get them to see that just because it's a nice big gem, that doesn't mean that there's any quality to it. So, the, you know, and that's kind of the, the picture that's given is they're looking at um, something that sparkles and they're going, ooh, look at this. And then when you really examine it closely, there's no quality to it. There's no value to it. Um, it's, it's artificial and, uh, and it's no good. So, uh, in, in the word for fool that's used in second Corinthians 11, um, how would you define, I, I just want to ask, I want to see what kind of answers we get. How do you define the word fool or foolishness? Any ideas? Okay, unwise. <laughs> That's true. How would you define unwise then? <laughs> okay, all true. Um, okay, misled. So, and the reason why I ask that is because in most of the, in much of the Bible, um, the the Greek word or the Hebrew word for fool. Um, 
is, is moranos, is the Greek word. And so the root word, that's moranos, is where we get the name moron, okay? Uh, and so, or dumb, or stupid, or whatever, you know, slang word you want to put in place of that. Paul's not using that in this, in this contest, context. Um, the Greek adjective is aphron, meaning ignorant, okay? And so what's the root of the word ignorant? Ignore. Okay, so they're, they're either one of two things. They either know the right thing and they're choosing not to do it, or they know where to find the resources for the right thing and they're going, if ignorance is bliss, I think I would rather stay right here. Okay? <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> but it's true. You know, if you think about it, I mean, we've probably all done that at some point or another. Say, no, 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 I don't want to know any secrets because then I don't have to be responsible for keeping a secret. Or I don't want to know what's going on. I'm not going to go in there because I don't want to know what's going on because then I'll have to do something to make it right or to fix it or to straighten people out, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, a lot of times that's the way we are in church, you know. Well, if I don't know what they're doing, I don't have to deal with it. Um, and so <clears throat> Paul is using the word foolish in this context here, or fool. Um, and he, he's, he frequently talks about boasting, uh, but he doesn't do it in a prideful way or a haughty way. And so he's, he's referring to people in Corinth as being fools um, because they're, they're making the choice. They have false apostles over here saying, we align with the 12. Okay? And Paul over here is saying, I align with the 12. And, and, but the two things that they're preaching are not the same. And Paul's giving the evidence that these people are not among the 12 and that these people are. And so what these people over here are saying, the false teachers are saying, we're descendants of Abraham. We're Israelites. We're Semitics. We're Jews. We hold the keys. We hold the word of God. And Paul's going, if you're trying to impose the Old Testament law for your own benefit and your own gain, you are not aligning with the 12. And so that's what this is all about. This whole um, uh, conversation that's going back and forth here. So in verses 18 through 21 in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. You know, and so the people that are putting up with this are, are claiming to be wise in their own eyes. So verse 20, in fact, you have even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we too were weak for that. So if we go back to Mark chapter 12, let's just take a look back here real quick. And this is Jesus speaking in the uh, temple on Tuesday before his execution, before his crucifixion. Okay? So three days before the crucifixion, Mark 12, and we're going to look at verses 38 through 40. 
He says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for those teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respects and respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And so what does Paul say now again in these verses? Starting in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 11. You put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you, puts on airs, slaps you in the face, to my shame. And he's talking exactly about what Jesus confronted the teachers of the law about. And the next verses in Mark, uh, Jesus talks about, he, he looks and he sees a woman who goes in and puts two coins in the treasury and he, and he teaches his disciples and says, she gave more than anyone else because she gave everything she had to live on. And, and what, a, what a teaching moment for, you know, obviously Jesus takes advantage of every opportunity to, to teach his disciples. Um, <clears throat> but it, okay, so um, I think if you read in Matthew's account, they've, they've convinced, um, let's, let's look at Matthew 21. And it'll probably explain that a little bit better. Uh, 33, I believe it is. No, yeah, um, that's not the one that I was thinking of. The, what I was thinking of was the, the passage of Scripture where Jesus says that they... Um, and now I can't even think of what it's called. But anyway, the, the, the high priests collect money to take care of the elderly when they get older. Corbin, yes, thank you. I believe that's what he's referring to here, is they'll take the Corbin, and then if something happens to the, to the family member, and help me if I'm wrong, if, so, if, the, if the family member that they're to take care of dies, then they keep the money. Is that right? So, so rather than the family members taking care of their older family members, the elderly and things like that, they, they, they set up, <laughs> and I always look at it, I go, it's like Social Security today. Okay, you, you give it, you pay it in to the temple, and then the temple takes care of them with the anticipation that they're not going to outlive the supply of money that's there, and then the temple gets to keep the money. So it's a little bit kind of a criminal, kind of a crooked way of, of doing things. Um, and so I believe that's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about uh, robbing families, robbing widows. Um, let me see. I got lost where I was at here. Yeah. Um, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. So um, they, they weren't paid a regular wage and they were dependent on the generosity of others for their livelihood. Um, and so the, the system in itself was open to abusing, abusing the power uh, that they have as well. And so that's kind of where, that's, where that lies. Um, excuse me? 
Okay. Mark chapter 7, verse 11. And so this is actually a part of the law of Moses that was added to um, the original of, of God's law. Uh, this was added to it. And so what they would do is just like your tax collectors, um, when the tax collectors would say, this is how, many, how much you owe, when the reality is, you know, say they would, they would come around and say, okay, your property taxes are going to be 4500 when... Uh, the real the property taxes really were only three thousand, so they would take fifteen hundred and stick it in their pocket, and so they would also exploit their their power in with the Corbin as well uh, by a telling them that they had to pay more than what they actually did, and so they were. Right. They're padding their own wallet is what they're doing, you know. Um, and so they're demanding more than what's, what's required according to the original law. And so, what's that? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I mean, they're playing politics, you know, in, in the temple uh, by doing this. So, um, back in uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 22 through 27, <clears throat> when we look at these verses, uh, if we look at these verses, Paul starts out, he's ready to begin by comparing the external qualifications believed by the Corinthians and the false apostles to be matters of great importance. And then he finishes from verse 23b and on by his surrender to suffering like the twelve far beyond even what they suffered to debunk the false apostles' claim to identify with them. So I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers to read because there's, I've got a, about five passages, six passages here um, that I'd like to look at that pertain to this. And there are tons of scripture um, that I can give you if you want them to look at on your own about the, the claims that Paul is making. I can text those out to you real quick. But do I have volunteers? Uh, okay, Justine, can you read? I'm going to give you Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Um, Philippians 3, 5. Uh, Romans 9, 3 and 4. Romans 11, 1. You want to read? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Wayne, I'll give you 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And so the, the first one, Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, um, I'm going to have you read it and really punch it real loud, okay? Okay, because this is John the Baptist, and he's, he's really getting aggressive with these people, so go ahead. Okay, I, I picture John the Baptist 
shouting. <laughs> you, you did a good job, though. But I picture him just, <laughs> don't you talk to me like that. You know, don't you come in here and think that you can just push us around because you because Abraham was your father, because you're Israelites, because you're this, because you're that. I don't care about your credentials. You are a filthy animal, is what he's telling them, basically. You start producing fruit that complies with the repentance that God that God teaches, then I'll baptize you. And that and that's what he's saying. Paul here is dealing with the same thing with these people. He's going, don't, don't come in here and tell me that, that Abraham's your father, you're Israelite, you're a Hebrew, this or that. Don't tell me what tribe you're from. If you do not produce fruit that, that complies and goes along with what we preached about Jesus Christ, you are not his, and you have no standing in here. And so this is what he's doing. So uh, Romans 11.1, 1. no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Philippians 3.5. Yeah, it started two, verse, or, yeah, verse 2, I think. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, as to righteousness based on the law, Paul did. Okay. So Paul is giving where he comes from. He's, get, he's, he's giving his upbringing. And so I kind of looked at this a little bit, and I thought, well, Paul was from Tarsus, right? Well, that's not anywhere near Jerusalem. So how does he, how does he come up with his heritage. And, and so some of the research that I found was that the teaching Paul received from his parents, his parents were probably natives to Palestine. They, that was their homeland originally. And so what language did Paul speak? What was his per first language? Uh, I'm guessing Hebrew. I'm not for sure. Um, but from what he describes in places throughout the scripture, he's bilingual. He knows a number of languages, but he was, he was brought up, I believe, with Hebrew and with the Hebrew teaching uh, in his home and then was also under the, the instruction of Gamaliel uh, to become a Pharisee. He was, he was being educated to, to being on the, the council and he was groomed and he was... You know, he was at the top of his class. He was valedictorian, you could say, of, uh, of where he was being educated at. So, uh, Romans 9, verses 3 and 4. Okay, so he's acknowledging the traditions of the old and he's acknowledging the, the rules and the, the laws that were taught and he's, under, and he's acknowledging also that he was taught in those things as well and he is so convinced about Christ 
and he is so filled with love for his people that he's, and, and sometimes I look at it and I go, do you really understand what you're saying? <laughs> it's hard not to think that. Um, but you look at that and you go, you have to genuinely love Christ far beyond anything else to be willing to say, I would give up my own salvation and go to hell for, the, for the, my people. You know, and that, that is such a, that's just a, such a powerful message. Um, and, and I can't, I can't honestly say that I would <laughs> necessarily be willing to do that. I would be willing to give up a lot. I'd be willing to even lay my own life down for, you know, because uh, we've talked about security in the church and things like that. And in our churches, they have people in there that their, their purpose is to protect the body while services are going on and things like that. And I've made the comment if I had a concealed carry license, I don't think I could draw a gun and kill somebody who was coming in here to kill me or to kill somebody uh, because I think I would easier take a bullet and die myself than I would kill somebody else that might possibly be going to hell. You know, and, and I look at that and, and there's, there's a, that's a big dispute. That's a big controversy in some places, you know. Um, I don't know if I could. There are some, <laughs> I've talked to some in this church, they're like, oh, I don't know, I wouldn't have no problem putting them down, you know. Uh, I, I just like, oh, I don't know if I could live with myself if I, if I shot and killed somebody, knowing that there was a very good chance that they were in hell today, you know, or were going to be in hell as a result. I would have a hard time with that. And, and I don't say that that's the right way of thinking. I don't say it's, you know, everybody's got their own ideas about that. Um, but I do know and understand what the scripture says about about protection and, and things like that. Um, and so, anyway, yeah, you had your hand up. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and you know there are passages of scripture that that you know we put law enforcement. The re purpose for law enforcement is to protect those who are doing right, and they're to punish those who are evildoers. Um, that's their purpose. That's their the reason why, and, and that's why I'm not in law enforcement, because uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not one that would be able to probably f follow through with execution, you know, executing the law um, to that point, to the point of, um, you know, taking care of those kinds of things. So uh, we're on First Corinthians 15. No, did we pass you, Judy? Romans 11.1. 1. Right. And so again, Paul's not using these credentials to, to exalt himself, but he's using his credentials to make sure that people understand that he's been given the, uh, he has the education, he has the knowledge, and he also has the spirit. Um, he has the commission by Jesus himself. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Go ahead, Trace. Thank you. 
most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to Peter, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what we believe. All right. So this, this passage here, uh, there's, there's so much in this passage, and I'm not going to re-explore uh, all of it, but, but a couple things that I wanted to point out is that Paul makes the, uh, the confession that he used to do the exact same things as what the, the Jewish people are doing who are following him around. Okay, because so there are people from Jerusalem that have been given orders, you follow Paul around and you do everything in your power to keep his mouth shut. You make sure he does not speak. So what was Paul doing on his way to Damascus, Saul? He was going to get Peter and shut him up, okay? He wanted to arrest him. He wanted to find a reason to bring him back to Jerusalem and, and put him in jail and keep him quiet. And so Paul understands what the people are doing when they're following him around. And he's going, man, I used to do the same thing. I wish I could teach you and understand so that you would understand what changed me the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so the teaching that he's giving, um, you know, of how Jesus appeared to the disciples, how Jesus appeared to the 500 people. And I was thinking about that this week, the 500 people. Um, and I was going, I wonder who was in there. You know, and, and because the, um, just in, in reading this week in Mark, um, early on in Mark, I forget what chapter it's in anyway, but when Jesus heals Peter's uh, mother-in-law, you know, and, and Peter, he's, he's still not 100% in, you know, it's, this is early in, you know, Andrew has come to him and said, we've, we found the Messiah. Peter, you got to come and, you know, Simon, you got to come and see this guy. You got to listen to him. And so Jesus is having a conversation with Peter and, and he comes to Peter's house and, his, and Peter's mother-in-law is there. And he raises her. He, he, he heals her. And what does she do? She gets up and she begins serving Jesus immediately. And Peter's like, wow. Okay, you've got my attention. You know, and I, and I believe he's got his attention anyway because Jesus is giving him teaching that Peter's heard already and he's looking forward to the Messiah. So he's kind of looking at him going, wow, this could be the Messiah. And he walks into the house and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And I go, I'm sitting here going, was Peter's mother-in-law in that 500? Because it was only three years later. <laughs> you know, and these are just the crazy, goofy questions that come into my mind. You know, who are the 500 people? It's not important to us, but these are just questions, you know, that, I, that pop up into my head. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes back to the way Paul goes in, you know, and sees a physical need, and, and he meets that need. Jesus already knows the condition of Peter's mother-in-law when he begins talking to him, 
And Peter, and, and I believe that this is just Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to give you a little demonstration to prove to you who I am. You know, and he walks in and he heals her. And not only that, is there's a, a, a picture of genuine repentance right in front of him because it says that she immediately gets up and she starts serving Jesus. And I don't think this was just a physical serving. I think she got up and she worshiped him. She served him physically and she served him spiritually from that moment on. And, and because we know that Jesus never performed healings in places where there was not going to be faithfulness and where there wasn't going to be repentance. And that's why when and he was in Nazareth, it says that he was very limited on, the, on the, um, the miracles that he could perform because he knew that they were not going to be converted. He knew that they were not going to change. So the, the number of miracles that he did was very limited. There were a few sick that were healed um, and that gave their life to him and surrendered to him. But for the most part, it didn't happen um, because it was not going to bring a spiritual benefit. So um, uh, one more thing real quick. Paul's humility in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I'm the least of the apostles and did not even deserve to be called an apostle because of these things that he did, because he persecuted. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So he wants to make sure that even though he's saying he worked harder than anybody else, he wants to make sure that the only way that that's possible is by God's grace. And God's grace only comes through the continuous hardworking of obedience. And uh, this, I don't know if you, if you remember, uh, Jim preached on grace. Uh, I think it was last Sunday. And this, this passage was in there as well. If grace doesn't change you, and change how you respond, it's not grace. Okay? So there's, there's a lot of times we say, well, it's just grace that, you know, for by grace we're saved through faith, and that's how we get saved. Okay, but if you get saved through grace, and you do not continue to obey to, and continue to receive grace because of obedience through hard times, like Paul's life, if you look at the, the next verses in 2 Corinthians 11 that we're going to come to here in a minute, as we go through those next verses, and he talks about all the hardships that he goes through. Grace is what allows him to go through those hardships and, and be what most people would look at as being abused. And they would go, why would I want that? Paul is going, yeah, it looks like abuse from the outside, but the grace that comes and the end result of salvation to people who don't know or haven't heard and, and the reward that's in heaven as a result He's going, man, you, I just wish you could understand that. It makes all of that stuff, um, it, it minimizes that. It, it reduces that to just a pile of, of nothing because of the greatness of what's to come out of it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we'll go ahead and look at that. Who had that? 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 through 5. Go ahead, Wayne, read those verses. We put in a stumbling block and seed cast so that our ministry will not be discouraged. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in making daily trials and hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and lives, in hard work, sleepless nights, and in 
All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much more you want to read? Go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, you know, he's making the point again. Um, if we, as we go back to Second Corinthians eleven, keeping what Wayne just read in mind, um, if we continue on, uh, verse from the middle of verse twenty-three, I'm just going to read through these real quickly. He says, "I have worked much harder." been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Um, that's in Deuteronomy. That's described as, as a punishment uh, for going against God. Uh, three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, excuse me, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. And so as we read through these verses, at the beginning, he starts out with the credentials of the false apostles that they're using. And he's saying, my, my credentials, I, you know, I can debate you till you're blue in the face. And I can, I can, I can, I can talk more about the law than any of you guys know. And then he says, now the 12 that you align yourself with, Peter went before the, the Sanhedrin twice in a very short period of time before Saul even came on the scene, and then he was beaten and all this kind of stuff. He says, okay, if you look at all the things that all the 12 went through, I've gone through more. So if you say you align with the 12 and you don't have a scar, you don't have an eye gouged out or a tooth that's knocked out of your head or hair that's been ripped out of your head, this, that, and the other, you do not align with the 12. Look at me. And I picture him opening up his shirt and, and says, check it out. I have suffered like the 12 have suffered. Peter has got marks on his back. Philip has marks on him. Every disciple, and, and of course, by the end of the first century, every, every disciple has been executed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Probably some of these 500 as well that we read earlier. And Paul is saying, I am laying my life down for Christ and you're doing nothing. All you're saying is Abraham's my father. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Jew. I'm this. I'm that and you're not doing anything that demonstrates Christ's love for people, and you're not taking any persecution. You're not suffering. And so Paul is not bragging on himself to say this, but he's going, but he is saying, I align with Abraham all the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection, and now I align with the 12 as well, and I go beyond what they do to make sure that the gospel message goes to the Gentiles accurately. And you are not going to stop that. 
And he puts that out there, and it's not to brag on himself, but it's to make sure that they, they get silenced. And so uh, he says, if I must boast, I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness. Um, I thought I was going to get through all this. There's just a couple verses, and I'll bring those up next week. But if you get a chance, read 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 6 through 10 primarily. And it kind of gives the explanation uh, of what he's, he's talking about in these verses. Um, and it describes how Paul is looking at his own weakness. And he describes when, when he pleads with Christ about his weakness. And he says, you know, if you could just heal me, if you would just take this from me, um, I could better serve you. And Jesus explains to Paul, if I heal you, your faith is going to look blurry. It's going to be hard to picture. If I leave you this way, if I leave you weak, my strength is going to be more powerful, more powerfully displayed. And so he'll go on to say that. So thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you.